Hello everyone, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jude 3 Project, and I just want to take this time to personally thank all of our monthly supporters. We could not do what we do without giving from people like you. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And if you're not a monthly supporter and you would like to become one, you can go to jude3project.org and hit the donate tab and sign up. We are grateful for you and we hope you enjoy today's new episode. God bless. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. All right, y'all, this is another uh, panel for the Through Eyes of Color uh, virtual experience. I'm so excited. I'm going to be participating on this panel and uh, moderating as well. So I will chime in myself. I'm doing double work today. Uh, We're joined by uh, three other panelists that I'm so excited about. Akimini Yuan, uh, Stephen Harris, and Dr. Marcus Jerkins. Welcome, you all. Hey, Lisa. <laughs> hey, good to be here. We're talking today about something um, I think that a lot of people are trying to wrestle through, decolonizing um, their theology. Um, and this is a hot topic for a lot of people um, in this season. What kind of have been your own personal experiences with, with this topic of decolonizing? Have you ever had to decolonize uh, your theology? Part of, part of my journey uh, in decolonizing my theology is to recognize that Black people have great significance in the corpus of Scripture. Um, I remember going to seminary and not hearing much uh, at all, really, about uh, the significance of Black people uh, in the Bible, whether you're talking about from the Hebrew Bible or New Testament, um, and, and then discovering when I really started working on my dissertation uh, and in theorizing and trying to ask questions, uh, how important, how central black people are. So it was important to me in reading the Bible and understanding uh, what the scriptures really mean and what the scriptures say about black people to recognize how important we are uh, to the witness of the church. Um, and so uh, I had to really go back and start questioning a lot of the stuff I was taught uh, with regard to um, who black people are and, and, and how we fit in God's plan for the world based on what the Bible teaches. So, yeah, so I had to go through that process uh, through close study and, and, and really trying to go beyond what I was taught in, in the classroom. That's that's helpful. Um, anybody else? Kimini, you want to speak to it? You know, uh, so I think there's a lot of different schools of thoughts when it comes to decolonizing your theology. Uh, some would say don't always use maybe decolonization and deconstruction sim- um, synonymously. I think of it in some ways as I would say that I think we have to decolonize in some aspects, but then also I think there's a net, but I actually prefer to disentangle, right? And so I find that when we're talking about colonization or decolonization, you have to ask, okay, so so what is colonization? I mean, in its most um, formal sense, it's when 
uh, indigenous people, whether they, you know, were indigenous to their own land, uh, for instance, my my people who are Abibio, I'm from the Abibio tribe in Nigeria. I was born here in America, but that's where my parents are from. And so I descend from the Abibio people. We were colonized, um, but our people were also enslaved. So they were taken in the transatlantic slave trade um, and brought here to America and to South America and to various ports, of course, South, South Carolina, Maryland, New Orleans, I think y'all know this. Um, or maybe you don't know the connection anyway, but but yes, that, that's a reality. And so you think about the transatlantic slave trade, and then you think about colonization, right, that, that um, came after that, uh, and how people, uh, um, Europeans came to Africa, came specific, specifically, in this case, Nigeria, um, and came and plundered and dispossessed the people of their land, dispossessed them of their culture, dispossessed them of their language, even down to their names, right? Um, and the church was one of the primary vehicles by which this actually occurred. Uh, so when you think about, I mean, I mean, to to the point that even my my own mother's maiden name is an English last name. She has an English middle name. Uh, and that is due to colonization. That's due to imperialism. Uh, and so so these are this is not something that I'm uh, I'm not talking in the abstract here. I know, I understand the real impact of colonization. And so when I'm thinking about decolonizing um uh, uh, the faith or the theology, I am trying to disentangle white supremacy. Um, that has seeped in, right? So, so what, what, what is it about the faith or uh, the way the way the faith that was delivered, right? That that is not biblical. Uh, that is not uh, reflective of who God made us to be. Um, obviously, that prime example of changing people's ancestral names and giving them completely different names because the ancestral names were deemed barbaric uh, by Europeans is a prime example, just a very clear example of what colonization looks like um, and what it would mean to decolonize, right? So maybe in that case, it's that person goes back and adopts that, that ancestral name that they were given. So when I'm thinking about decolonizing, I'm just trying to see like, okay, what what's extra? Like, you know, what is added on to this uh, beautiful gospel, the uh, the beautiful law that God has given us in our commandments that that Christ doesn't require of us. And so I so to me, the way to decolonize is to actually look at what does the scripture say? Uh, and the scriptures were not written by any white people. There are not any white people in the Bible because uh, white whiteness was not a construct. That wasn't an actual reality uh, when uh, the canon came together. And so, so, so for me, it's also it's just trying to discern and to think about the ways that uh, white supremacy has, has infiltrated uh, the reception of the faith, not necessarily the faith itself. But the reception of it, and I think I, I make that distinction uh, because I think when you don't, we, you can err in some ways. So I'm sure we'll get to that later. But that's just my my um, assessment at the moment. That's helpful, Stephen. That that's really helpful. I think for me, um, I began kind of deeply looking at this through my own kind of experiential lens. So I agree with the perspective that everyone else raised in terms of how their own kind of experience as a person of faith kind of led them to have to question certain certain things. But but in an academic setting, um, even in my doctoral program, um, 
engaging with 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 notions like coloniality, um, which speaks to the kind of enduring effects, the enduring kind of structural uh, uh, effects that set kind of normative standards uh, in spaces and regions that have been colonized, right? Um, and so, in many ways, it's as a historian is thinking about the reality that religion in general, Christianity in particular, not only accompanied uh, colonial projects, it 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 legitimized them, it it, it sanctioned them. It, it was the kind of epistemological and and a, yeah theological um, lenses and vehicles through which colonial in, colonial projects were 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 propagated, right? And so that in and of itself tells you that because the, the, the projects of settler colonialism, regardless of what you're, whether you're talking about in, in the Americas uh, or elsewhere, um, are inherently violent in nature, right? And if you have a, the, a theology, not, again, not just attending that project, but sanctioning it, legitimizing it, subsidizing it in many ways, then you know that that theology has been adjusted and altered to kind of fit that, that, that sanctioning. And so the process then of, to use Achimene's word, I think it's a, it's a really helpful one, disentangling one's own theological commitments and practices from that theology that sanctioned that colonization process um, becomes one that's immensely important, necessary even, if one is going to have a practice of the faith that is um, more uh, attendant to kind of pure forms of, of spirituality that we see as in the Christian tradition in the scriptures themselves. So, so that's kind of how I came at this, this, this topic, really kind of thinking through the ways in which beyond the, the, the physical realities of colonization, coloniality as that which speaks to the enduring legacies, or to use a, a phrase that Sadia Hartman uses, the afterlife, the afterlife of colonization. Um, and what that means for people, particularly the people who are on the underside of that colonial experiment? What does that, that mean for their, them in terms of their own subjectivity, uh, culture, epistemology, certainly theology? So, so those, those are some of the ways that I've, co I've come at it and tried to understand it. We're living in a day where people, I think, are just coming to terms with the fact that some of their theological thought was a product of colonization, not necessarily the Bible. And so, um, they're having to detangle, um, as a committee said, um, their their theology because for them, white theology is normative and right, and anything that deviates from that is problematic. And especially if you, um, it depends on I think where you came to faith. So if you came to faith in a uh, white evangelical context your norm is that, or then you have people who grew up in the black church that felt like it wasn't robust enough. So then they they went to a white evangelical context and then discovered racism was present. And then they went to a progressive context. Um, and so there's just the swinging back and forth, trying to find, trying to, to detangle their theology. Um, what what ways have you seen people try to detangle their theology in in damaging ways? It it didn't help. It, it more so hurt them. So when you say hurt, hurt let me ask this: uh, What what do you mean? Hurt their faith or, or hurt? I mean, hurt like because I, I think a lot of people um, 
uh, Kimini had a tweet a few weeks ago. Many people are de uh, decolonizing their faith in such a way that they're no longer in the faith. Um, <laughs> um, right, right. So, I, so, so I would I would say to, to to answer that, I think some people um, are so um, well that because of the injury that's been caused by racism and uh, racist theology and its uh, white supremacist theology and its effect on kind of how we read the Bible, uh, many people uh, have, uh, you know, kind of res can respond theologically uh, with, uh, to kind of coin a, you take a phrase from, uh, in a different way, I mean it, uh, from, uh, from one of my professors, Michael Brown, The Blackening of the Bible. Uh, he wrote a book called The Blackening of the Bible, and that is to try to uh, make everybody in the Bible black or to make everybody in the Bible um, to, to have uh, to, to be from us. Uh, so you can kind of go overboard kind of in response to that, or you can also just jettison the faith altogether. Um, and so because the faith has been tied to an injury, uh, one has to uh, discard the faith and try to distance oneself from the faith uh, because it's, it's, it's caused so much trauma. Um, and so, uh, it, it, so it's important to to take the phrase that's been used uh, here to disentangle. That is to figure out what the Bible actually says, um, and to figure out you know what the Bible really meant when it said the things that it talked about, um, so that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And and that's one of the problems that we're facing now. And when we, when we talk to people, that is, uh, they are they they tie the faith uh, with uh, particularly in particular with chattel slavery, because the Bible was used uh, to justify and to uh, uh, cause people to uh, be subservient in slavery. Uh, people say that the Bible must be destroyed. The Bible must be rejected because it's the uh, it's, it's a representation of the white man's religion. And so we have to go back and figure out what scripture actually says um, and, and, be, and be fair with what the text says and try to generate our theology from the scripture and it's with its original intent in order to really get at what God is really trying to say to us uh, in scripture. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, Stephen? Yeah, no, that, that is really helpful. I think, so I, I think it, it depends on what your commitments are, right? And so since we're talking in the distinctly Christian tradition, um, if, if, if you're trying to remain in the faith, then there, there ought to be certain standards that um, you commit yourself to and of course, certain authorities that you commit yourself to, namely the, the scriptures themselves. Um, interestingly enough, you know, we have a, a number of models in history. As a historian of American religion, I can't help but look to the very reality of what uh, historians have called hush harbors in, um, in particular. I think our spaces where we see decolonization, theological decolonization taking place, right? Where you have individuals, enslaved individuals who, when in the presence of slave masters, are regurgitating particular theological norms for the sake of um, uh, a kind of ventriloquism that they are kind of reflecting for the sake of their own survival. But when not in the view of the slave master, as they stole away in private meetings and spaces, they are practicing and forming and fashioning a Christian practice, a theology that is their own, right? One that is, um, that dovetails with, that is, that has continuity with their own Africanity and their own heritages, right? And I, I just, I just always look to that as one of the, the shining miracles of 
of that period because here you have a people who very quickly discerned that the very practice of the Christian faith that they were observing before themselves was inherently was inherently faulty, right? Was inherently illegitimate, um, and and sought to um, adjust and correct their own understanding of the faith. Um, I, I just think it's important to acknowledge that that's that's where in many ways Black church tradition begins, um, or at least it's one of the beginnings of the tradition that I think we can look to as an example. That's extremely, extremely helpful. Akimini, would you like to add anything? Uh, yeah, when we're talking about, I think when the harm, you asked about the harmful ways that people start to decolonize. I do think it's important to get to the root of maybe why people are doing that. Sometimes it's um, spiritual abuse that leads people to um, begin to decolonize uh, their the faith or theology, however you want to uh, phrase that. Um, and I, and I, you know, and the more I think about spiritual abuse, I do think that it can be widened to um, include um, racism, right? For for black people or people of color uh, within. Uh, white evangelical spaces or white progressive spaces, right? Because white, uh, that racism shows up um, um, in both spaces. Um, and so I think sometimes there people are acting out of, as Marcus said, they're, um, sometimes they're responding out of um, hurt. Sometimes it's a trauma response um, and, and, and an effort to actually make uh, the faith their own, uh, which I think in some ways, uh, you know, I want to be fair here, but I think in some ways, even seeking to make the faith our own, like, you know, I'm just going to um, decolonize and then deconstruct and then construct um, a faith that works, you know, for me, that's compatible for me, is actually pretty Western um, when you think about that. And um, it has influences of the enlightenment in there because yes, we're, we are saved individually, but we are also saved unto a people. We're saved unto a community uh, of people. And so I think that's really important to keep in mind. Uh, but when but I think some of the other reasons why people, uh, uh, you know, decolonize or or are led to do so is uh, they're also just trying to they, they need to be able to see themselves right in the faith. And when you've um, received maybe a, um, a, a counterfeit uh, had a, a counterfeit reception um, of the faith where Jesus doesn't look like you, Jesus look like a white man, you know, uh, that's a real problem. And that's what actually, um, if I can be so bold, uh, uh, to say that's what, uh, Patricia Hill Collins calls like a, a controlling image. Now she was talking about this with regard to black feminism and sexism and, and the like, but controlling images are used to justify and to perpetuate subordination and to normalize it. Right. And so when you have a controlling image, like white Jesus, um, hanging in your church, uh, that lets you know something about uh, your worth, about your faith, about whether there's space um, in this faith for you. And why Jesus doesn't just show up in white churches, why Jesus is actually in black churches as well. Um, and that is, it's an, it's an idol, right? Because it's absolutely divorced from reality. It is divorced from history. Jesus is a historical person. Jesus is God and man. Uh, and and when we do that, we it's 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 a, or when the church does that, it's a stumbling block uh, for people, and it, it it causes people to begin to internalize um, white supremacy. And I think we have to all do the work of interrogating um, our own uh, 
relation, you know, uh, to white supremacy growing up in just a, a, a racist society. There's no, nobody can claim that they have uh, um, been unstained, right, um, by its impact because it is a global project. Uh, and so it's something that I think we all have to interrogate and be, uh, be advised about, but that's just a very, I think a practical snapshot of the way this thing shows up um, and what it means. And when you see that image from when you're growing up, you're going to really have some questions about who you are, about your dignity, about your humanity. Um, and then colonization is the process of actually agreeing with your oppressor, agreeing with the one that's colonizing you uh, instead of agreeing with who God says you are. Uh, so I think there's a lot of uh, different reasons why people end up doing it. Uh, but I, I do think that at the end of the day, ultimately, uh, the call, um, the way to decolonize is that we have to do it according to uh, what's laid down in the scriptures. Because my presupposition is not that the scriptures are colonized, actually. I think it's our reception of it. And that's extremely helpful because I think, I love that you mentioned the trauma piece because it's hard to uh, detangle or construct traumatized. Um, it's hard to see things as they are when you've been traumatized. It's hard to see what's real and what's not real. And the traumatized mind usually just throws everything away from that experience Absolutely. versus Absolutely. being able to detangle what is helpful and what is harmful. Yeah. And I think we're just in a situation where people are experiencing a lot of trauma they're seeing people that look like them being gunned down in the street. Yeah. They're seeing uh, white Christians support Trump and it's all conflated. And so in their minds, it's like, let's just throw it away. And um, as you, it's, it's just, I love that you brought out the point of the trauma because it is hard um, again to detangle in that traumatized state. Yeah. Cause when you're traumatized, I'm not a trauma therapist. My good friend, Dr. <laughs> Emerson is, <laughs> but I talk to her all the time, so I just I glean all these things from her. But but trauma is so loud, right? It's so loud. It's right in your face. It's so salient. You know, it's almost as if whatever the traumatic event was that occurred, whenever it could have been when you're five, it could be when you're ten. I mean, you could be thirty now, and it can feel like it just happened yesterday. Um, and so, so the trauma uh, has got to be dealt with, and and the way that's dealt with is that the the volume has got to be turned down on the trauma because it's so loud. Um, and then you you're just not able to to discern and hear. <laughs> you can't even hear from the spirit, and you can't even receive from the spirit, right? From the from the um, holy writ, you know, you can't even really receive because you're the the trauma is drowning out everything else. It's like surround sound um, 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 for the hurt that happened to you. And so it, it it's imperative to deal with the trauma first, and then you can move on from there, and then do the decolonization within community. Um, and I'm sure we can get to that later, but just wanted to chime in on that. So a lot of people think that um, decolonization is just leaving um, Christian orthodoxy or um, uh, fundamentalism and going to progressivism. Is that decolonization? Why or why not? Anybody can go first. I think I'll just say, you know, reiterate that it, that's why it, it depends on what your project is, right? And so, again, if we're speaking within a distinctly Christian uh, worldview, um, then no, that's not the, that's not, that's not the project. Those aren't the terms of the project. Um, 
for a number of reasons that's problematic, but you know, to just riff off of the way this conversation is trended, right? To suggest that you know, if it's anti-blackness that we're trying to um, disentangle ourselves from, uh, to suggest that liberal theology gets you away from anti-blackness, um, is not to understand the genesis of liberal theology, the ways in which the kinds of questions uh, that 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 liberal theological projects um, are seeking to answer, and who who first frames these questions, right? Um, a lot of people in Germany are, are, are initiating that work. Um, and so again, it depends on what your commitments are. Um, but if your commitment is uh, for the sake of the truth and the truth according to the witness of scripture, the truth according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, then it can't be simply trying to, to swing from conservatism to liberalism or, or vice versa. Um, just, just in the same way that I wouldn't say the project isn't um, you know, answering Eurocentric theological norms isn't immediately done by answering with uh, uh, Afrocentric norms. Um, so, so, you know, Afrocentrism isn't necessarily the, 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 the correct answer to Eurocentrism, right? Even though I understand why Afrocentric uh, uh, dispositions, you know, are the kind of first go-to spot for a lot of people who are engaged in decolonization processes, um, across a range of epistemologies, whether it's theology or, or, or what have you. Um, but again, if we're talking from a distinctly Christian worldview, um, I, I think the witness of scripture offers us something better uh, than committing ourselves to these faulty frames, whether it's conservatism or liberalism, et cetera. I think Christian, uh, the Christian witness offers us always a better way. Um, and it's about discerning what that better way is. And I can't um, uh, agree more with what Akimini said done in community, it's a community project. So if, if we're gonna take our, our starting frame uh, to, to its kind of uh, conclusion, decolonization projects, um, you can pick any number of theorists that you want, whether it's Fanon or Césaire or, or many others, the project that they are in, engaged in is a project that is not just individualized. They're talking about a community. In many ways, they're talking about an internationalist frame, a pan-Africanist frame. Uh, so it, it's always bigger than just the individual. And I think that, again, dovetails with what we see commended in scripture, that discipleship, sanctification, growing up in the faith, that takes place in the context of community, right? Um, and so these things, again, become the guardrails uh, to keep us to keep us in, in line in healthy ways as we seek to, to have a, uh, to reflect the theology that is more in accordance with uh, the truth of God's word um, uh, and, and, and the truth as, as, as Christians, we want to kind of live out of, so. Yeah. That's helpful. You want to go? Sure, I'm sorry. And so, yeah, I would say uh, the, the proper response is not read a response criticism or to say that, you know, you know whatever my perspective I choose uh, is, is, is fine with the, uh, scripture or Christian theology or, or kind of construct it as I go along. The proper response uh, in decolonizing one's faith uh, is to try again to look at the intent of God from the beginning. Um, that's what we get into trouble with that because um, uh, we get into trouble when we kind of accept the colonialist paradigm in the other direction, right? So we say that uh, kind of rightist views or kind of you know conservative views have caused us to uh, uh, fall into uh, this kind of white supremacist paradigm, which uh, as Stephen mentioned, uh, liberal theology has has grave sins in in that same vein. Uh, 
but the proper response is not to say that I'm now going to read the Bible on my own terms. The proper response or, or to have faith in my own terms is to figure out exactly what God intended from the beginning and to reach out to the true and living God. If this God is true, if this God is real, then, then it's our job as human beings to figure out what it means to please this God and to live in concert with this God. Um, and so, and if Jesus is who he claims to be, uh, then all that, that makes that all more important. And faith in Jesus Christ requires us to follow him and not the other way around. Um, and so what ends up uh, occurring when we really take on this project um, is that we start reading the Bible uh, for what it says and understand what it what it what it really what it's really talking about in this whole context. One of the problems we have today, as I think is, was was mentioned earlier, was still. I mean, I was I was shocked when I read uh, that the commentator uh, uh, Eric Metaxas, bless his heart, uh, mentioned that Jesus is white, right? So as a as a Christian a historian. Uh, that I was aghast, as I said, I, I thought we had gotten beyond this, that we could re recognize that Jesus was not a, a white man. Um, but the fact that we're still having that conversation means that our project is immense, that we have to really inform people to that they need to go back and read their Bibles and understand their Bibles in their original context um, and, and, and really grapple with what, with what scripture uh, meant. Jesus was a brown-skinned Afro-Asiatic man. I mean, he was a he was a, near, a Middle Eastern a Jew, um, and so we have to really deal with that fact uh, in an age where we have people who are marginalized because of the color of their skin. That Jesus uh, today would have been marginalized because of his appearance, um, and so we have to, as 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 Christians, we have to engage in this process project, looking at Scripture in its original context. Um, it requires exegesis. It doesn't require. We can't eisegete our way out of this. We're going to exegete our way out of this in order to really engage Christianity in its original context to tear down the things that we have erected um, and, and, and destroy those things so that we could really get at the real God, the true Jesus, um, the God and the, and the purpose that God has us laid out for us originally in the scripture. And so, yeah, so, so decolonization uh, requires not uh, a new path towards uh, that. That's actually really the old path and new dress. It requires a, a, a new path of real engagement with the real scripture and with the real true God. That's helpful because I think the narrative is that the Bible is a white supremacist manual when it's like, nah, the Bible isn't a white supremacist manual. White supremacists use the Bible for uh, use passages in the Bible uh, for their own benefit. But the Bible itself is not a white supremacist book. And I think that's what we have to detangle in the minds of people. It's like something can be used for bad and not in itself be bad. Um, I could I always use the example of a hammer. I could, if I, I'm a criminal minds fan. Um, so I've seen hammers used in crazy ways on criminal minds, uh, but that's not the intention of the hammer. And so I think that's, that's what people struggle with. Akimini, do you want to add anything to, to that? Yeah, I mean, uh, you of course, Stephen and Marcus have said a whole bunch, and so have you, Lisa. But uh, I think uh, when people want to move from, say, you know, white evangelical, white conservative spaces to um, white progressive spaces, uh, honestly, it's the same beast with different teeth, right? Um, it just looks a little bit different. You know, maybe the paternalism uh, manifests itself differently. Um, but the white supremacy 
is still there. Um, and, and to me, I'm just like, well, so you exchange one, um, uh, how can I say, uh, one uh, manifestation of whiteness for another? I mean, I, I, I think that to me is a form of colonization, in my opinion. It's like, why, what is this? Uh, why, why is this person so deeply enamored with whiteness? <laughs> That they find their refuge either in the whitey that jungle space or sort of white uh, progressive space, you know. And and the real tea, at least in America, is that whitey that jungle is a white progressive. This is a a family feud, to be quite honest. So it's quite a lot of quite a lot of the ex evangelicals that left the white evangelical spaces for numerous numerous reasons went over and did you know they um uh, um went into white progressive spaces right and so these are people that sometimes just have a generational rift either with their parents uh aunts uncles uh and they just not dealing with them anymore and so they're gonna go over here and so these are the people that you know i'm progressive they have the black lives matter signs on the lawns and all that right um but if you stroll up in their neighborhood who they gonna call and so and you already know they're gonna call the cops on you and so this is, it's like, and so black people and people of color, other non-black people of color, uh, begin to willingly um, put them, insert themselves in this family feud, maybe unbeknownst to them, but that's really what's going on. And I think that was very clear, at least for me, I thought that it became abundantly clear with the election, right? That happened in 2016. And now we have another one coming up um, in a couple months uh it's very close and i'm scared but <laughs> but uh but yeah we have uh, i think in, in in the american context there is this uh there is a real family feud going on uh with uh the people who believe themselves to be white so whether they be evangelical or progressives they are in broiled in this fight where they they're not talking to each other you know the, the white ex-evangelical claims to be now woke and so they they're moving on, right? When really their job is actually to go get their mama and them and their grandma and them and try to get them together, but they can't because their own racism stands in the way. Um, and then black people and non-black people of color uh, put themselves in the crossfire uh, unnecessarily when really um, orthodoxy, orthopraxy and doxology, all of that has found its home and in its way within the black church tradition, starting with hush harbors as Stephen laid out so eloquently um, for us and, and then moved his way into how the former black church um, began when you think about the AME and what Richard Allen and, um, and did. So, I mean, so, so to me, I'm always going to be a little bit um, suspect of people that say that they're decolonizing or, uh, and then constructing, but they never seem to make their way into the black church. Like, you know, so that to me, I'm like, I'm really I'm really curious about your uh, commitment uh, to blackness and to black people if you yourself reject black people and black church people. Um, so and that's not to say that the black church is perfect, uh, not at all. Uh, but I do think that at least in America, it, it has always been uh, uh, the 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 conscience of uh, uh, of what uh, Christianity of what of what a more faithful commitment to christianity is at least here in america um and i i just don't i don't think the lampstand lampstand has been moved from the black church which is a testimony to god's grace and his faithfulness uh to our people but um yeah i'm always going to question that if you go from 
white evangelical straight space and you're a person of color, especially if you're black, and then you go to a white progressive space. That, that to me is not decolonization in any stretch of the imagination. Same beast, different teeth. And uh, as for me and mine, I'm good on that. Would either one of y'all like to add anything to that? Yeah, Kimini raises a, a very important point. Um, in, in framing it as a kind of family feud, um, because in many ways it's a fight to not allow yourself to become obsessed and consumed with the anxieties of these projects that are committed ultimately to your own oppression, right? Um, and and I and I and I intentionally use the word anxieties, right? And 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 obsessions, whether it's the epistemological policing that's happening in evangelical spaces around literally what people should and should not be reading, um, which I take personal offense to, like literally, um, that all of these things are are forged in anxieties about the ways in which these systems uh, will continue to be structured and the norms that will structure them in the service of, again, people and projects that do not look like you and I. Um, so I, I think Kimmy raises a very important point. Why would you continue to commit yourself um, uh, and consign your yourself to those kind of spaces? Um, because the questions that are being raised, uh, the issues that are, are, are most important and most pressing, um, the decolonization process is you, to use language uh, from Fred Moulton, is you engaging in a, in a politics of refusal like I refuse to take on these anxieties. I refuse to take on uh, these projects and these epistemological constraints for the sake of fitting into uh, a structure of orthodoxy that again is fundamentally committed to my othering, right? Um, instead, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose to be a fugitive to those spaces. And in my fugitivity, the work and the projects that I'm engaged in, I think house particularly in black religious spaces, black church spaces, um, are going to serve as, uh, uh, in many ways, a judgment on these these other projects, right? So in my fugitivity, in my malpractice, I'm actually seeking to save orthodoxy in its true sense. May I add one one thing, Lisa? Yeah. So so and, and this is important because this is why this is kind of what prompted me to write my dissertation and my current project. You know, uh, a book I'm writing, Black Lives Matter to Jesus. When I did my history of research, one of the things I discovered uh, is that in both conservative and liberal streams, both groups ignored, for the most part, the blackness of the Ethiopian unit. Um, so you could, I, and I did do the research, for example, from conservative perspectives. I mean, that's not important at all. The fact that he was Ethiopian and so forth, but you have a you know, your main line, and also liberal scholars, uh, for the most part, have ignored it and have said pretty much the same thing conservatives have said. His being uh, an Ethiopian really didn't mean he was black or what ha what have you. Um, and what was interesting to me uh, is that, it's, especially now, most scholars who focus on the Ethiopian eunuch are not focused on his blackness. When you can, you can, I can give you give you all a dozen books that have been written in the past, uh, you know, uh, twenty to thirty years that focus on his eunuchness, right? The fact that he was a eunuch and what that might mean in terms of queer theology and and, and kind of uh, LGBTQ um, has a, a possible LGBTQ identity for him, which I don't necessarily think the scripture was trying to argue at all. I mean, I don't think that's part of the narrative. 
Um, but 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 we could focus on those particular aspects. But those same liberal scholars will put like maybe a footnote or kind of a two or three lines about his being black. And, and so I, I find that interesting because, again, um, the, either stream can can miss the point, which I think scripture is really trying to get at. And I think that's why we do have to decolonize. We can't just go from, you know, conservative perspective over to a progressive perspective or what have you. Um, we have to really try to get at what God was really trying to say and why scripture says what it says um, uh, for us um, and how we can understand it. And, and really, and for me, one of my biggest sticking points, and I'm going to keep preaching this, is that the Bible included Black people, and the Bible made us essential. And so uh, so, so Christianity is far from the white uh, man's religion, the white woman's religion. Uh, it's, 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 it's something that is, it included us from the beginning, and God has seen dignity in us when he made us. So that's going to be something I really want to advance. Um, as And I think we as Christians uh, do ourselves a disservice as Black Christians if we don't try to make that a part of what we preach, that God sees in us dignity. And that's really a part of what we have in the scripture. That's helpful. Um, I, I um, was thinking as Stephen was talking about like not getting consumed in either one's um, favorite uh, uh, topics and because many of their topics aren't helpful to us. Um, so I, I think about apologetics, um, G3 Project. When I started G3 Project, most apologetics focused on the um, proving the existence of God, which wasn't really relevant. And if I had got stuck in their project, I wouldn't have been able to be effective to engage the people that I'm trying to reach. And I think it's that the point you raised, Stephen, was um, important because we could get stuck in these camps and never engage our people like that our 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 research and everything that we're trying to do will get swept up in their agenda and we will never be able to be effective um in true um engagement with with black people um so i do think it's important like as Stephen has said repeatedly, like what project are you going to participate in? Um, and I think that's what we need to ask ourselves when we're decolonizing our theology. Am I going to participate in their project uh, and make that uh, my project? And I think that that then we have to do ex examination to see, are we trying to engage in the project because we want to be accepted by them? Is it okay for us to be who we are, um, know what God has called us to do and be rejected by both sides and be okay with it. Um, and that's, I think that's the most challenging part for many people who are trying to detangle um, their theology. Anybody want to add something to that? Yeah, I think in some ways, I think we have to, um, I, I think in, in disentangling theology, I think we have to examine the ways that people give too much credit to white supremacy and, and, uh, and whiteness. When you, uh, Lisa, you mentioned a, a, a while back in the uh, in our conversation about uh, how people say, "Oh, you know, the Bible's a white supremacist uh, manual or something." It's like what the Bible predates white supremacy, like the faith predates white supremacy uh, and it will outlast it. Like that's really, really good news, right? Because white supremacy is a myth uh, um, and and these relics of, 
uh, of of white supremacy, like white Jesus, uh, those contribute to myth making, right? And they they contribute to concretizing uh, that myth of white supremacy. And it's something that I think it's a, that I think part of the the uh, decolonial project is to uh, divorce oneself of the white gaze, to divorce themselves of uh, internalized white supremacy, uh, internalized racism. I think that is first and foremost, one of the most essential um, approaches, I would say, uh, to decolonizing uh, theology so that we can actually disentangle it, disentangle it from that. Uh, because yeah, it, it certainly is, it's not the white man's uh, religion, but it's been, uh, it has been co-opted uh, uh, by white supremacists for a very long time. Uh, and they constructed and created to the point that they, you know, Jefferson created his own Bible, right? Um, and if we're not careful, uh, we can begin to uh, create our own Bible um, and our own uh, faith apart from uh, uh, the revelation that Christ has already given us in his word and about who he is, right? Uh, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, uh, my sheep know me and another they will not follow. Uh, and if you love me, keep my commandments. Uh, all of those things that, uh, uh, all of those precious promises, precious words that God gives us uh, are, 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 are still incumbent, right? And still uh, required of us as Christ followers. And so I think uh, the temptation is to swing the pendulum so far um, to blackify everything. And so we got to be careful about that too, um, because God definitely, uh, you know, this is, a, there's a plenty of black people in there, plenty of uh, African people in there, although African as, as it is now is not what was um, a, a reality in the biblical times. But I think it's, it's important that we also are not contributing to erasure, right, of the Middle Eastern-ness of the Bible, of the Jewish nature of the Bible as well, of the Palestinian nature of the Bible as well. And so I think that's something that we have to be cognizant of as well so that we are not swinging the pendulum too far. And I think you hit on something that's very key because when we think of like essential Christian doctrine, uh, Jesus being fully God, fully man, the Trinity, uh, the exclusivity of Christ, those are African in nature. To swing the pendulum to the other extreme is actually white. So it's kind of like you are leaving a black thought of um, biblical, uh, biblical doctrine and picking up something white in order to avoid white supremacy, which is many people miss that. But the fact of universalism and not saying that Jesus isn't uh, fully God is more a German project. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, I, I don't want to uh, uh, misquote what's happening here, but uh, I'll, 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 I'll uh, defer to my uh, Bible scholars and um, also uh, church history uh, scholars. Uh, but wouldn't you say that's more of a white uh, theological construct, not African? Anybody? So if it just depends. So so you, we could say so the well the father of um <laughs> the father of Orthodox Christianity in a lot of ways. Let me not say the father, but but one of the great fathers of the Orthodox Christianity, Athanasius, uh, was one who helped us, you know, finally understand um, what scripture was trying to 
get at to a certain degree. I mean, he was, he was uh, Patricia theology and other theologies still have to reconcile a lot of ways with what scripture said, but, but Nicaea uh, was, was a product in many ways of Athanasius. And so African perspectives uh, won out uh, at Nicaea. Uh, and, and I think it's necessary for us to really grapple with that. I mean, I would say, I, I agree with the overall with your point though, um, because you do get this kind of this universalism. L let me not say universalism, let me say kind of the liberal Protestant project, which has tried to dehistoricize Christianity and say that, you know, that Jesus, uh, we can't, we can't, we don't, don't give us Jesus in, in Jesus's original context, uh, de-Judaize Jesus, uh, and and dehistoricize scripture and take away the the vestiges as they would say of who Jesus was so we can get a who Jesus who Jesus is so Bultmann you know uh, did what we call sock critique uh, that is content criticism so the Bible in and of itself offers us views that are completely unacceptable and so we have to attack those views because we don't believe that stuff anymore. There are no such things as demons. There are no such things. We know that that if somebody gets sick, a demon didn't cause it, right? So Socrates is necessary. We say that no, uh, we have to get at what, what is useful for us. And so for Bultmann and other Germans, what was useful uh, was a Christianity that didn't have a, Jew, a Jewish Jesus. Um, and we know uh, that uh, no, Howard Thurman was one of the first ones uh, uh, scholars really to to really push this in the early 20th century that that now Jesus was a Jew and 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 so like as as as, as uh, Kimini said and as I said earlier I mean we can't we have to be careful as black people not to start you know claiming Jesus in a way that tries to de-Judaize de de Jesus ourselves it's it's okay to say that Jesus was a Jew and we recognize that Judaism is, is something that uh, in his Jewishness is distinct from our blackness and scripture would have us understand that as a, but, but we are included, here's the point, through this Jewish Jesus, that's, this is the point that gets us all saved. Through this Jewish Jesus, everyone is included. Everyone is included because God intended from the beginning to save the world through this Jewish son. And so, so that's what I think we have to really get at, that we can't, we can't, we can't attack the scripture and try to make the scripture something it's not uh, as some sort of tool for our own project. The question is, what is God's project? And what is, what is it that God is trying to accomplish? And I think that's what we all have to really try to get at if we want to really be decolonialized because otherwise we'll just trade one emperor for another. And the only true emperor we need is the one named Jesus. Helpful, amen. Did you want to add anything, Stephen, or are you? No, I, I can't improve on that. That's good. <laughs> well, uh, we're getting ready to close. But before we close, um, what would be your advice? Um, just some final words. I know you you all kind of um, hinted on the fact that this needs to be done in community. What other uh, advice would you give to those who are listening to who want to decolonize, detangle their theology? Just quickly, I would I would encourage people to um expand their horizon in terms of who their conversation partners are. One of the things that I've been looking at recently in my own work is, is trying to identify, and this work has already been done, so I'm not forging any new paths here, but uh, just even if you take a hemispheric perspective, identifying linkages between the African-American experience and the Latin American experience. Um, uh, again, I mentioned earlier that if you look at 
uh, certain post-colonial theorists and the ways in which they're thinking about um, transnational or international projects, right? Um, it's it's expanding our, um, our our discourse beyond the horizon of the, that limited few um, that, as we've been talking about, are committed perhaps to projects that are not ultimately helpful. Um, and and it's and it's and it's looking at at theological resources um, from from people of color. I mean, just to say it explicitly, from women of color, um, allowing them to 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 be sitting at their feet. Um, and 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 gleaning from the the wisdom um, that that they have, as the Spirit has been has been using them to help the Lord's Church understand God's truth better. Um, and so, those are just things that I, I would encourage people to do. Because again, going back to this epistemological policing that's happening, and you can't you shouldn't be reading this and don't read that, and that that, that kind of anxiety has not has never been. Uh, fundamental to um, people of color who are engaged in thought work um, oriented towards liberation, whether it's theological or otherwise. Mm -hmm. uh, Black intellectual commitments have always been uh, uh, eclectic in nature. Um, and you can pick any, any of your favorite figures and look at their body of work. They were always picking from different sources. And when you look at Christian uh, thinkers in particular, able to do so while yet keeping the authority and the centrality of the scriptures, the main thing, right? This, this is not difficult to do. So that anxiety that if you read other things and if you are in conversation with other things, that's an anxiety that is not, um, it's, 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 it's not germane to, to the experience that we're representing on this, on this, on the, in this conversation. And so don't allow that fear to constrain you uh, in the conversations and the resources that, 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 that you might feel led to reach out to and expose yourself to in this process. Um, that would be back. That is extremely, extremely helpful. Anyone want to go? Yeah, next? I can. I, I would say um, if, if for decolonization to occur, um, or for disentangling, <laughs> uh, I think you have you have to approach it with a great um, amount of humility, uh, and I think it needs to be done in community. So I believe that we need spiritual formation and political education together, and I think that has to and should happen within the church community. Uh, and I believe that it should be intergenerational, honestly. Uh, my, the first theologian I ever knew was my grandmother. Uh, I credit a lot of my work and what I do to my grandmother, who taught me the hypostatic union, okay? Who taught me the scriptures, literally taught me uh, how to pray, taught me the Lord's Prayer, taught me all those things. And so that's my bias, um, is to, to sit under the feet of older black women, um, in this case, this Nigerian woman, my grandmother. Um, but I do think it's very, very important uh, to, to uh, walk and go along with some saints that have been in this for a long time, um, a longer time than we have, and, and who have seen their own um, unique set of trials and tribulations and dealing with racism and things, right? We're, we're dealing with something uh, unprecedented, right, in our time frame. So I don't want to diminish what we're going through. But I do think it's important to do that within community, and I think it should be intergenerational. Um, get people, older people, older saints to be speaking into your life. Um, and they don't have to be in their 80s, but somebody that has some years on you. Um, in the faith and, and somebody that has just wisdom uh, to speak into some things that you are wrestling with or thinking about and wondering about, particularly if you're trying to uh, 
uh, deconstruct fundamentals of the faith. The reality is, y'all, Christianity is not was not um, invented or, or, or did not arise from a Build-A-Bear workshop. You cannot have it your way. This is not Burger King. You have got to, either you believe Jesus's faith claims to be true or you don't. Um, and, um, and, and if you don't, then you need to make sure that you are uh, in, in, in interrogating that doubt and, and doing it in a way that is constructive, um, that's historically rooted in the reality of the fact that Jesus did actually walk this earth uh, uh, as a human being uh, and that he did resurrect. And we know that because they can't find the grave. CNN can't find them. Fox News can't find them. The History Channel can't find them. Discovery Channel can't find them. And they're not going to find them, right? Because he's seated at the right-hand side of God. And so uh, so I think it's important to really understand that uh, you cannot mix and match and you can't, uh, you know, say that you are, you know, that you are a Christian and then that you're also a witch at the same time. You, this is just simply not true. Um, and so I, I do, that's why I think community, having a community and doing this type of decolonization has to happen under submission to other people, but in submission to God as well. Um, because really um, we're all colonized by sin um, and, 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 and we should not uh, trust our own instinct. We should check with others. I think that's where the humility comes in when we are trying to do decolonization. That is extremely helpful. Uh, I'm going to go next and then I'll let uh, Marcus close us out. Uh, one of the things I think is important when you're trying to decolonize or de-entangle is to know scripture, know the Bible. A lot of people are trying to detangle their faith or decolonize their faith and they haven't read the Bible. Um, they know principles of scripture. Uh, they know some stories. Uh, there's a quote that I love by William Lang in his book on Hebrews, he says, we claim to be people of the book, but in actual practice, we're only people of our favorite passages. And so many aren't students of the scripture and they're trying to decolonize a faith they've never defined. And so I think if, if in order for you to decolonize your faith, you have to know what you believed to begin with, know what you believe and why you believe it. And then you can say, if I've read scripture, I can pull out things that aren't consistent with scripture, but you're going to have a hard time trying to disentangle or be able to dif dif differentiate, I'm trying to get the word out, what's truth about scripture if you haven't read it. And so I think a, a lot of people need to start their decolonization process or detangling process with actually reading the Bible from cover to cover. Um, if you're going to be able to, to see what's white supremacy and what's not um, in your faith. Yeah. So, so let me, let me second that. And that's exactly what I was going to say. Uh, and, uh, and say it, say it from a different, with a different spin on it. Um, when you read your Bible, Remember that your Bible, if I'm, if you're going to decolonize your faith or disentangle your faith, remember your Bible was not written in 1611. Remember that your Bible was not written during the Reformation. It wasn't written during uh, the, uh, the slave period, the, the, the antebellum or, the, uh, or the, the, the Civil War period. It wasn't, remember your Bible wasn't written in America. Remember your Bible was written uh, over th thousands of years 
uh, by people that you know whose culture is different from yours uh, and people who uh, uh, people whose uh, perspectives on life are much different from yours, completely in many ways antithetical to Western ways of thinking. Um, we have to be really careful because we co-opt scripture and the arguments of scripture because of our own perspectives. But we have to really try to figure out ways to engage the text based on what it meant and what it said in its own time. And so it's, it, we will do ourselves a favor as Black people when we do that because we'll start paying attention more to what the Bible is really trying to get at in many ways. So when we see the word Kush, or the, when we see the word Ethiopia in the Bible, we won't just read past it quickly. When we see that Jeremiah says, uh, can a leopard change a spot in, in, in one sense, and then also says, can an Ethiopian change his skin? The reason why he's saying that is because uh, Jeremiah, just like everybody else, was aware that that Ethiopians or in their own, in their own time, Nubians were black skinned people. And so the Bible was fully aware of, of black skinned people. And the point of that text was not to say that there's anything wrong with being black skinned, but it noted that black people in their in their own skin uh, were people whom God recognized as black people. So you don't have to try to jettison your skin or become something else. Uh, to be loved by God. God recognized you as black when God made you. In fact, God intended for you to be black. And so we will do ourselves a favor when we try to figure out what the Bible actually says in its own context, pick up on what's going on in it, and then also try to read it for what it says. And then lastly, uh, I will say this, and, and I really, 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 really mean this, um, to, to kind of go at what, what's been said before, uh, we'll do, ourse do ourselves a favor if we don't jettison the black church. We cannot, we cannot, we cannot try to uh, reject the black church. Um, but we have to embrace the black church and try to recognize why we have the black church and the and the fact that this is an ordained. I be really truly believe something that God has ordained uh, for the flourishing of the faith throughout the world. So uh, when we do look at the scripture properly, when we hold on uh, to the history and the legacy that we've been bequeathed as black Christians, I believe that we'll be able to really decolonize and really disentangle the faith in a way that's going to be prosperous for all of us. Amen. Um, thank you all for joining with us for this Decolonizing Our Theology panel. This has been a rich time. Thank you to all of our panelists. Uh, you've been phenomenal. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com. Com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember, we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching G3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.